0: On my heart that uh, I don't want to keep you here for two or three hours, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know we'll 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 get through it as the, as the Lord allows, as He leads us. Uh, but I'm going to be taking some scripture. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, out of the Gospel according to John, and we'll be looking in primarily chapters nine and ten. Uh, toward the end of chapter nine, uh, around about verse uh, thirty. Well, verse thirty. And uh, then we'll bleed on over into chapter 10, and of course we won't read all of that, but... uh... I kind of find that if you, if you sit down and read, and of course we have our Bible divided up into chapters and verses and books and, and things like that, and it's very helpful as far as reference and things like that, but I can tell you that, that sometimes it almost seems like they cut off at the wrong spot. Like if you're just going chapter by chapter and you read a chapter a day, if you're not careful and you're reading the gospel according to John, you'll read chapter 9, and you'll hold it on its own and then kind of forget about it and read chapter 10 and not realize there's a direct connection between 9 and 10. And to give you just a, a broad summary of chapter 9 up to verse 30, is chapter 9 starts out with Jesus and his disciples you know, going along their way and they find a guy who was blind from birth. And that was a special kind of problem. Nobody was really able, you never heard tell of anybody healing such uh, afflictions. And uh, they looked at Jesus and the first thing they ask him is they say, well, who sinned to cause this guy to be blind? You know, it's kind of one of those hypothetical questions, especially that a lot of critics of the Bible would love to ask. And they say, uh, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus gives them an answer that they didn't expect. He tells them, neither, neither one sinned, that he was made blind. That he was actually made blind so that Jesus could come and manifest the power of God in his life and healing. And you'll find that most of this chapter is the end result of Jesus' work here when he heals the man of his affliction." It says that Jesus does this, that he uh, spits on the ground and makes a paste out of the, the dirt and everything and anoints the man's eyes, and it says that he leaves seeing, and, and as he goes along, though, that then uh, he gets beset upon by the Pharisees, and they begin to question with him. They bring his parents in and they're asking him, and they're saying, "Well, who did this? Under what power? What authority did he do this? Uh, and at first, the guy doesn't know who Jesus is. He'd never seen him. Jesus was done and gone. By the time that his eyes were opened, uh, and yet here come the Pharisees, they're dogging him, they're accusing him, they're asking him, they're putting him to the question at one point, his own parents look around and say, well, he's plenty old enough, you ask him. He, you know, you uh, question with him. And they're like, are you one of his disciples? And he's like, I don't even know who he is. But then after a lengthy questioning session, we come down to verse 30, where that this guy applies sheer logic to their theology. And he tells them, and we'll start reading at verse 30, notice it says, The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Okay, he looks at him. and he says, This is what we know. He didn't know his name. He didn't know as much as the Pharisees knew about him. But he did know that he once was blind, but now he sees. That's what he looks at him and tells him. He come and did this thing. He healed me. It's no different than the man at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus told him, Get up. Take up your bed. Walk out of here. And then the Pharisees stop him. Where are you going with that bed? It's the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to be doing that. Uh, And they begin to put him to the question. And so the man goes on and it says in verse 31, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. Pure logic. He's saying, look, uh, this guy can't be a sinner. God doesn't hear sinners. Uh, God doesn't answer their prayers uh, like He'll answer the prayer of somebody who, he, who is uh, one of His. Uh, and you'll notice now he goes on and says, But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him He heareth. He lays it out plainly. He's talking about what he's heard because he hasn't seen until today. Right. And a lot of times when something good happens in your life, when the Lord blesses you, when He works, that's just as sure as the devil's going to show up and try to cast doubt, try to throw a shadow over any light that you might shine out into the world. The Pharisees are here, and they're doing all these things, and the man's telling them, look, he did what he did, and I don't think a sinner could do these kinds of things. Then you'll notice he goes on. Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. He tells him plainly: nowhere in the old records has it happened. Nobody else had ever done such a miracle. That puts Jesus in his own class. And that's what the man's beginning to realize. That when they put him to the question, what they were actually doing was moving him. He might have just said, well that's great that now I can see, but I'm going to go out and live my life and sin and do all the things I want. But rather he looked around and said, this guy has to be significant for what he's done for me. And he goes on and says, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And that squares with the rest of the Scripture. In the 14th chapter of this same book, Jesus says, Look, you've got to abide in me, and I'll abide in you, that you can do nothing without being in me. And this man is saying, Look, if he's not of God, he couldn't have done these things. And I can tell you, church, one of the big problems of our society today is people going around with lying wonders and lying signs and trying to show these things and make manifest the works of of God or make it appear that way for personal gain oh yes and the next chapter Jesus goes very plainly over that you'll follow the right shepherd when you know his voice oh yes how had this guy ever interacted with Jesus but by hearing his voice yes so he asked it and he puts it to the Pharisees. I imagine that at this point he's tired of talking to them. And he laid it all out for them and then now here's their rebuttal. Verse 34, it says, They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. They said, you were born blind. You had to have sinned. Get out. Hit the bricks, as we would say. And they cast him out. And after all of this, it's then that Jesus shows back up. Now Jesus could have walked right in front of him and looked him right in the eyes and he wouldn't have known who he was. But he heard his voice. You see, I've never seen him, but I've heard his voice. And the Bible says, Plainly blessed are they which believe who have only heard. And they have to hear and believe. You'll notice it says in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said unto him, Thus thou believe on the Son of God. I imagine that that man said, Wait, that's the voice of the one who healed my eyes. That's the voice of the one who though I was blind before, yet now I'm able to see. And he asked him the question plainly. And as Christians, I can tell you this is real important: that when we witness to somebody, we pop the question. And I'm not talking about asking them to marry us. You know that that's usually when somebody says they're going to pop the question. That's what they're talking about. They're going to say, "Will you commit to me?" But isn't that essentially what we need to say to somebody when we've witnessed to them? Will you commit to Christ? Will you give your heart to Him? Will you believe upon the name of the Son of the Most High as your personal Savior? Because people will sit there and say, Yes, uh uh-huh, amen, I, I, I like your Facebook page, hashtag that's for me. They'll do all these things. But when you ask them, will you accept Jesus Christ? That's kind of the point at which they've got to pick. Uh they don't want to choose they want to say well maybe someday it's kind of like when you invite people to church say "Uh, why don't you come out to church on Sunday well I might be there no intention on coming but I can tell you this a lot of times I'll pray for that I might be there and make the Lord make it like a rock in their shoe <laughs> make it like a burr in their saddle that they can't be comfortable Jesus asked him this question will you believe uh, dost thou believe on the son of God notice his re- response says verse 36 he answered and said who is he Lord that I might believe on him uh, uh, and he tells him look uh, I'm ready to go uh, and I found that there's certain people uh, uh, when they're ready uh, uh, they ain't hard fruit to pick uh, they'll fall right off of the because they're right, They've been looking and searching. And a lot of times the Lord will just send us and say, hey, won't you pick that one? Oh yeah. And it just happens, but a lot of times we'll be like, oh Lord, now they'll think I'm crazy. They'll think I'm trying to manipulate them and I've been through this. Some of the hardest people for me to preach in front of are people that I know personally and I know aren't saved. Because anything that I preach, they'll think, well, he's only saying that because he knows who I am. He knows how I am. And yet, I've had several instances of preaching to somebody that I know and preaching what God laid on my heart and it pierced them to their heart and they come to the altar. There's been other times I've preached and not known somebody or never met them before and God has pierced their heart. But what I can tell you is this, you don't worry about where you fall short. You trust God to make you what He needs you to be to put you exactly where that He wants you. And so Jesus uh, asked, or this man asked, Well, who is he? Just tell me. I want to believe on him. And verse 37 And he said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And you'll notice that Jesus revealed himself as the Son of the Most High God to this man. This whole gospel, the gospel according to John, was written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and by His name you might be saved. And that's what this man got this day. Because yes, Jesus healed his eyes. But more importantly, He was going to save him from his sin. And when Jesus says all of this now, you'll notice verse 39... Uh, When it finishes it out, verse 39 says, And Jesus said, For judgment, I am coming to this world that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And then here come the Pharisees again. Verse 40, Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Yes. And a lot of times the the biggest difficulty in helping anyone is is getting them to acknowledge that there's a problem. And that was a lot of times what the Pharisees are. When you witness to somebody, a lot of times that's the problem. They don't want to acknowledge that there's a problem. They look around and say, I've got it pretty good. Oh things are going my way I've got plenty of money uh, uh, And I will tell you the world is quite a comfortable place For them uh, to die and go to hell from uh, uh, And a lot of times That's what happens uh, A lot of times people will look around uh, And they'll try to say look uh, uh, God must really be blessing me Because I've got all that I want uh, I've got everything and, and, and you know I have all these things The Bible says plainly What would it profit a man to gain the whole world yeah, yeah, To lose his soul yeah. And you see, they asked Jesus, are we blind also? And the answer is yes, absolutely. They are face to face with the Son of the Most High God and they don't recognize Him. They don't see Him for what He is and yet a blind man figured it out because they were questioning Him. They were asking Him these questions and Jesus was very plainly amongst them. And all they ever said was, no, He's not. He's a sinner. He's not of God because he's not doing things our way. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a term for that that I learned when I was uh, in college and studying uh, what they called uh, cognitive behavior. And it's really just how people think. It's psychology. They talk about like you have certain things, certain expectations. I give you an example of of when the term they called cognitive dissonance, that's a fancy word, but what it means is something happens other than what you expect based on what you already know and this happens if you go out to your car you stick the key in the ignition and you turn it to start and it does nothing because statistically speaking every time it starts right up yes. and then all of a sudden it does now if you don't know anything about a car you're going to be looking like you know a, a chimpanzee or something where you're just jabbing the key at it, twisting it, looking at things, open the hood, look under there, but you don't know what's under there and everything. But you have certain expectations and you have certain ways that you believe and understand things and when that gets challenged, it's often met with anger. Oh, yeah. You think about any time your car won't start, how frustrating it is. Oh, yeah. I know that there have been lots of times when that I've encountered things like that. And that's the way the Pharisees were with Jesus. He can't be of God because He's not one of us. He can't be of God because He doesn't pander to what we want Him to do. He's not our pawn. Uh, And a lot of times what happens uh, is we think we know the mind of God uh, and yet when the Holy Spirit leads us uh, and and this is what chapter 10 is all about uh, is hearkening unto the voice of the shepherd. Just like this blind man has done the shepherd showed up uh, uh, gave him his sight uh, and all he got was grief for it uh, but he came to a point of belief uh, and then Jesus says You've met the Messiah. And he worships Him. That is the right response. But the Pharisees, they look around and they say, Oh, I guess we're blind then, aren't we? And notice Jesus answers them in verse 41. Jesus said unto them, "If ye were blind, ye should have no sin, but now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth It's the type of person who swears they're not a liar while they're lying to you through their teeth And this happens all the time. I had a guy one time tell me, "Look me right square in the eyes and said, "Now I'll tell you the truth, I'll lie to you." I didn't hardly know how to approach that. I mean should I believe him? He already confirmed that he's a liar. Can I believe him that he's telling me that he's a liar? It's one of those, uh, you know, cognitive conundrums, as they say, two things that don't seem to be true but are. And Jesus is telling him, "Look, you're saying you have no sin. That's a problem. That is a that is symptomatic of a person believing they need no God, they need no shepherd." They need no leader. They're, they determine their own destiny. And you see, the interesting thing is that in this day and time, and it's really not new, you go back into the Old Testament, you find idolatry started way back there. And idolatry, my own understanding of it is, is that it's anything you fear more, love more, or serve more than God. Oh, yeah. And you see, nowadays, of course, we don't see uh, statues of Baal or Ashtoreth poles set up somewhere or any of that. We don't see that anymore. And so some people would probably try to look around and say, ah, idolatry doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. No, it's more insidious. Oh, yeah. Remember, it's anything you fear more, love more, or serve more oh, yeah. than God. Yeah. Anything that you put before Him. You'll notice that first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I, the Lord thy God, am one God. And you see that if it's your job, if it's your family, if it's whatever, it's an idol to you. It's more important. These Pharisees, their theology was more important to them than the God they were supposed to be serving. You see, because it's kind of like taking this book and having more confidence in this book than the God who wrote it. If you go all the way back into the book of 1 Samuel you'll find during that time it was the time of the Judges. During that time if you remember they were duking it out just every time they turned around with the the Philistines. They were up constantly and the Philistines were getting the better of them most of the time. And you know they'd, they'd gone through this and I mean this happens a lot. If you read the book of Judges it's quite the roller coaster ride okay they're, they're serving God then they're down in the valley and they're afflicted and then that God raises up a judge they overthrow their oppressors and it just it repeats rinse and repeat that's the oh, way the book yeah. of Judges is then you come into the book of 1 Samuel and it's Philistines who are afflicting them there's no king so that every man done what was right in their own eyes which is not a good thing and then there comes a time when they need to come out and they need to win against the Philistines and so they send for the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was their powerful tome. Wow. Moses gave it to them, and, and, and you know the description of it, and they've depicted it in movies and popular culture oh, yeah. for a long time. And they bring it out. They send for the Ark of the Covenant. It comes in amongst the the Israelites. Do you remember what happened? Oh yeah. They gave a mighty shout. Woo! We've got uh, the Ark of the Lord amongst us, and they did. The problem was they didn't have the Lord of the ark amongst them. They thought they had the recipe for victory. And if you know the story, you know that the Philistines whipped them and took it. Took their ark. And it dwelled in the land of the Philistines for a while. Looked around and God began to afflict him. But what I'm saying is uh, they took that box uh, which was supposed to represent it's the Ark of the Covenant. It represented the covenant with the Most High God, but they put more value in that box uh, than what they put in their relationship to the Most High God. You can put more value uh, in just owning, possessing, and understanding this book uh, than having a personal relationship with God. Now I can tell you this, it's good to know this Word. But you can know this Word academically and not know God. But if you know God and you know this Word academically, I tell you that the gates of hell can't prevail against you. And so Jesus is telling them, He said, Look, you've got an understanding of the Word of God, but you don't know God. In several other places He told them, Look, if you knew God, if you were really of the spirit of Abraham, children of Abraham, you would be glad to see Me. You would rejoice. Because there are two types of people when it comes to the truth based on my understanding. There are those that desire the truth just so they know the truth. And once they find it, they rejoice therein, regardless of that cognitive dissonance where that it doesn't agree with what you think to be true. The other type, when they encounter the truth and it hurts their feelings, steps on their toes, they look around and say, well, that can't be true because I don't like it. You ever been reading your Bible and it hurts your feelings? That's good. Oh, yeah. You ever been reading the Bible or somebody up preaching and they say something and, and, and the way I heard a friend of mine put it, you got to say, ouch, amen. Oh, yeah. Because it, it hurts, but it's good for you. Yeah, right. It'll benefit you. And the Pharisees, they just says, ouch, and he's got to go. Oh, yeah. When the guy that, they, that we were just talking about who had his eyes opened by Jesus, when he started making sense, they said, Beat it! Get! We don't want none of that junk here. And so that chapter 9 ends, Jesus said, Look, your sin remains. And now notice it goes right on over into chapter 10 for he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief, And a robber. And he's talking to the Pharisees. He's still telling them this. He's telling them, look, you don't think you have sin. You're trying to climb up some other way. You're trying to make it to God rather than the way that He's laid out. And what is the way? Well, in in the 14th chapter of this book, in the 6th verse, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was the one that was the way. But notice what He says in verse 2 of chapter 10. He says, But he that entereth, in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Oh, yes. Meaning he belongs there. Because my understanding of it is that a lot of times with the sheepfold, they would kindly try to hide the door the gate so somebody couldn't figure out how to get it open they'd have to try to tear the fence down it'd take them a little longer so they would try to hide the gate but the shepherd knew exactly where the gate was and it was only to be known by those that belonged there that's why thieves and robbers they climbed up some other way and they weren't supposed to be there I'm pretty sure I've told you the story before when I was at Still Memorial I'd been mowing grass and I wanted to get inside the church and I'd forgot my keys I knew there was a window that didn't really latch all that good. And I was tempted to push that window open and climb in the window and go into the church so I could get me a cool drink of water. But I remember thinking, just as sure as I did that, and I seen my legs sticking out of the window and me squirming my way in, uh, that somebody would be like, somebody is breaking in to steal Memorial Free Will Baptist uh, 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 because it, it couldn't be the pastor because he'd have a key to the door and I'd be hard pressed to convince whomever came along that I wasn't breaking in because the guy that belongs there goes in through the door. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Now notice in verse 3 it says, But to him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. That he knows them. He knows their name. He knows them intimately. He knows your name. He knows my name. I love how that the next chapter over he calls the name of a dead man and the dead man hears the voice of the shepherd that he says, Lazarus, come forth. And it says that Lazarus hears Him uh, even though He'd been in the grave for four days uh, uh, because He heard the voice of His Master the Shepherd, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because everything that I've told every sermon that I've ever preached in my entire life I can tell you this, if it doesn't all hang on Jesus then it's pointless because without Him, none of it means anything but in Him uh, uh, we have life and we have it more abundantly And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, Look, uh, uh, if you belonged here, you'd recognize me and you would hear my voice. And the voice of the Lord goes out and to those that are His, they'll hearken. And they'll listen. I'm sure any of you here that are parents know your kids' voice. And you even know when something's wrong by the way they sound. I knew my kids well enough, even as a father, and and fathers usually aren't as tuned in as mothers are, but I could hear them, and and when one of them was hurt, I knew knew what each one of them sounded like when they were genuinely hurt versus when they were just upset or angry. There was a different kind of cry. And one, I would be like, they'll be fine. They'll get over it. But the one when they were hurt, that brought me running. And you see... When you know somebody that well, you know their voice. Oh, yeah. That's what Jesus is saying here. You'll notice now it says in verse 5 it says, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. And the Pharisees, they were the ones, now they come, they, they, they looked the part, they even sounded right. Uh-huh. And, church, I can tell you this. I hope and pray that the Lord gives us all wise and discerning spirits because Jesus said in the last days there would arise false prophets and false Christ said they would deceive the very elect if it were possible. And the only way that it's not possible, if they know the voice of the shepherd, if they had the Holy Spirit pointing at them and saying, they're a fraud, they're a fake, don't listen to them. And I can tell you, the biggest telltale sign is, they'll talk about Christ without the cross. They'll talk about God without talking about holiness and sanctification. Everything will point almost to Christ, but it'll be slightly off. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they talk about Jesus all the time. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, he was a good guy. Yes, but was he born of a virgin? Yes, but was he the Son of God? Is he alive at the right hand of the Father? Is he he who is dead and yet alive forevermore? Yeah. And they won't answer you in the affirmative when you ask them those questions because they don't believe that. And if they don't believe that, then they don't have the salvation That's that right. comes only by Jesus Christ. Yeah, and some of the biggest cults out there are ones who will point at the Bible. They'll sound just like any other preacher. They'll act like a lot of churches. But they don't hold Christ as the sacrifice once and for all. Right. Because you'll notice now it says in verse 6, This parable spake Jesus unto them. They understood not what things they were which He spake unto them. Now everybody heard Him. And Jesus said at one point, he said, I speak in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now it wasn't like that he was trying to be coy or cutesy. But it was rather that the ones that genuinely wanted to know, they would hang in, they would dig deep, and they wouldn't quit until they understood the disciples. How often did the disciples look at Jesus and say, Jesus, we just don't get it. Okay, Jesus went to talking to him about bread. He said, I have bread and meat that you know not of. And he's like, D- I don't see anywhere around. He's like, no, I'm talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm talking about uh, what God has given to me. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, we look at things and we discount the spiritual and we emphasize the physical. Oh yeah. And it's backwards. It's the same backwardness of this world that they look around and rather than saying that God created man... A lot of critics, especially of Christianity, they say God is a fabrication of man. Now you think about how backwards that is, saying man created God, not God created man. And that's a big problem nowadays. And you'll notice now that Jesus goes on and he says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Meaning that anybody else, all they're ever going to do is take. Yes. And take and take and take. Jesus come to give. You think about how often that he added to and multiplied for people. Oh, yes. The devil's the one that subtracts and divides. Yeah. Jesus adds and multiplies. Oh, yeah. And that's what he came to do. He said, look, uh, uh, the, 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 the thief came uh, to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life, that you have it more abundantly. Oh, yeah. You know what that means? means He wants good things for you. Yes. It means that even in the midst of great difficulty, He's going to be right there by your side. That should be a comfort oh, yeah. daily to us. One of the most important things that we have to remember is that we have an advocate with the Father. Oh, yeah. How often it is in our day-to-day life, we discount what we have in the Lord. Oh yeah. right. Don't forget who it is that you serve. You see, the Pharisees, when they, when they brought about all their questions, the irony is, when they pointed and they accused and they questioned and they tried to trap Him and all these things, and the Lord saw fit to reveal this to me uh, just a couple of years ago, is that what I saw was that they were actually fulfilling the office of the priesthood. Because you remember Jesus' ministry when He came to John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed right at Him and said, Behold, behold the lamb of god should take away the sin of the world now in the old testament if you committed a sin you brought a lamb oh, yeah. you let it up okay you presented it to the high priest to the priest and the high priest they took it and they were looking for a reason to reject it yeah. they were looking from from nose to tail they were looking at it to try to find any spot any blemish because in order for it to atone for your sins, it had to be spotless and without blemish. And if they couldn't find anything and they were really trying, they would deem it an acceptable sacrifice. And then its blood would atone for your sins. Yes. Now what did they do to Jesus? The whole time, oh, yeah. they looked Him over. Yes, it did. One end to the other. They questioned. They accused. They asked Him. And lastly, right before the crucifixion, whom did they bring him before but the high priest and the high priest asked him questions and they accused him and they couldn't find anything wrong and they were trying they fulfilled the office of the priesthood in that they found that he was a lamb without spot and without blemish he's the door to the sheepfold if he wasn't sinless then we're still dead in our trespasses and sin You see that Jesus, when he came into this world and he began to talk to them, and I tell you, I'd love to just have the time to read this entire chapter, but you'll notice that it culminates there toward the end that Jesus pretty much looks at him and says, well, I'll read it. It's verse uh, 37. It says, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. Verse 38, But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. He said, look at what I'm doing. You remember what the formerly blind guy said in chapter 9? He said, no God does the things that He does unless He comes from God. He said, look, nobody does that kind of work unless God is using Him. And now Jesus is saying, just look at the works I'm doing. Oh and some may say, yes, but it's not all about works. No, but works is evidence yeah, to convict right. you of being one of his. Yeah. Because you think about it. Owning a Bible might be good evidence. But you see, you can go into lots of homes even here in West Virginia that own Bibles that'll have a lot of other books and a lot of other vile things in there too. Yes. Yeah. And so, maybe the Bible could be explained away. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, but imagine. Imagine they were coming and accusing you of being a Christian and looking for evidence. Maybe you've got a Bible. You know what? I, what I really like to see, and I, I've done this for years, especially with other ministers, if they'll let me, I'll be like, can I look at your Bible? I want to see what notes and bookmarks and things like that they have in it. You know, a Bible shouldn't be this, this tome you know, that you take care of and put up on a shelf and never use. It should be used. Wear it out, get another one. I wore this one out. This one was my father's before mine. And it had some wear on it. He'd had it a few years before he died. I took it and started using it. I wore it out and sent it off for repair and got it back. And I'm working on wearing it out again. And the thing is, is if they come into your home and they found that Bible and it's in pristine condition, they'd be like, I don't know, that's really circumstantial. Just owning it isn't enough. Then what if they started calling witnesses and saying, well, yeah, I ran into them down at Walmart the other day. Here they went, talking about their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, inviting me to church. They watch you for a week and see your activities, see what you do. Would they find enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Would they find you with the spots and blemishes of being a sanctified, blood-bought Christian follower of Christ. Would they see your works and see Christ in them? Because if they don't, something's wrong. A Christian without Christ really isn't a Christian. You're right. I believe it was Mahatma Gandhi who was quoted as saying, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. You think about what an indictment that was. He was saying, yeah, Jesus said a lot of good things, but the people who claim his name don't act like him. Right? That's a problem. You see, one of the most damaging things to our cause of Christ is hypocrisy. And trust me, we're every one hypocrites if we're not careful. And even being careful will mess up. Oh yeah. You know that a lot of times people will find aught against a church because and say, Well, they're hypocrites that go to that church. Well, maybe there are. But for every one that you show me, I'll show you ten that aren't, that truly have a desire. And if they are found in hypocrisy, It's likely due to ignorance, and once they become aware of it, they will change, and they will get straightened up. The world that we live in, they need to see our good works, that they may be convicted in their heart, that they may say, I want to know Jesus because of what they have in their life. Like Brother Chuck testified on Sunday, and that, Brother Chuck, that blessed my soul. You know, you said about being on the train there, and then stuff was happening, and everybody was worried and everything, and he was like Jesus in the back of the boat. It was just my imagination conjured, just, I ain't worried. Everything's all right. Lord's going to take care of us. That right there, that's the kind of peace that's peculiar in this world. And that's a testimony. And that's the way that we should be. That even when we're in turmoil, even when we should be worried, we're looking to Christ. Yeah. Because what I think of is an older fella he used to be called Simon. Most people call him Peter at this point in his life. And he's on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And a nice big storm rolls in. And the boat's getting tossed and the men are managing the boat and they're worried and they're worried to death and there sits Peter. Just as calm as can be. They might look at him and say, Peter, aren't you worried? They'll look at him and say, boys, I've done been through this. I've got a Savior and whether we go to the bottom or we make it to the other side, we're going to be winners either way. That he found himself out in the middle of the water there and he trusted in his own abilities and they failed him. And so he decided, you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord. Look always to Him and lean not to my own understanding. Oh, yes. Because trust me, there are going to be storms. There's going to be difficulty. But you hearken to the voice of the Lord. Yes. Know that the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want yes. I can tell you, you watch the news right now and they're hollering shortages and they're getting everybody worried. And I had a person the other day ask me about the the, the apparent diesel fuel shortage. And I said, well, I don't know about that. So I, I don't know one way or the other. Don't know if it's the truth, if it's an exaggeration, if it's somewhere in between. But I do know this, that David said that in trusting in the Lord that he'd never seen the righteous forsaken There is seed begging bread. We might not have everything we want, but we'll have what we need. God will take care of us in the midst of famine. He'll take care of us in the midst of great difficulty. And I rest comfortably in the confidence, not in myself, not in my plans or backup plans or anything like that, but in my Lord and my Savior who will see me through anything. He is my shepherd and I shall not want. I hope that you feel that way as well. I hope that this message is ministered to you. That's all that the Lord has laid on my heart. But if you need the altar, it's open. If you need to come pray, now is just as good a time as any. But if you have any need tonight, I want you to come.